0: Hey everybody, thank you for joining me for episode 12 of The Green Life. Today's guest needs no introduction and he's leaving me quite starstruck. I love his books, his research, his work, and to me he's the father of modern day plant-based nutrition. I'm of course talking about Dr. T. Colin Campbell. Dr. Campbell has been dedicated to the science of human health for more than 60 years and his primary focus has been the relationship between diet and disease, particularly cancer. Although largely known for the China study, one of the most comprehensive studies of health and nutrition ever conducted and recognized by the New York Times as the Grand Prix of Epidemiology, Dr. Campbell's profound impact also includes extensive involvement in education, public policy and laboratory research. Dr. Campbell grew up on a dairy farm and was the first in his family to go to college where he studied pre-veterinary medicine at Penn State University. After obtaining his bachelor's degree and while completing his first year at the University of Georgia's veterinary school, he received a telegram from a well-known professor at Cornell University offering him a scholarship and research opportunity too good to turn down. And so he completed his education at at Cornell University and MIT in nutrition, biochemistry and toxicology. As they say, the rest is history. So we're going to hear it from the man himself. Welcome, Dr. Campbell. Hello, Dr. Campbell. Thank you so, so much for making the time to participate in the podcast today. Such an honor to have you on. How are you?
1: Very good. Thank you. Looking forward Um, to it.
0: Ah, yes, me too. I, I always know you share golden nuggets. So I'm really, really interested in uh, in going into this. So for people that I don't think that anybody doesn't know you, but for people that maybe are just getting to know you, should we just give them a little background about your backstory, uh, where you came from, how you got into science and how you got into plant-based nutrition?
1: Okay. Yeah. I started my career in graduate school at Cornell University, Uh now 66 years ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and uh, I was gone from Cornell for about uh, 12, a few years at MIT. And some, I came back to Cornell in 1975 on the faculty. And so I had a big research program, lots of students. I, of course, did a lot of teaching. Uh, I was also in national policy development, quite a lot at the national and international, including England, the UK, in, in fact. Uh, but uh, that experience uh, really got me into que- questioning our understanding of nutrition. My own doctoral dissertation was designed to promote the consumption of more animal protein, believe it or not. You know, I came from a farm, so that was consistent with my own views. But what I discovered after uh, doing a project in the Philippines with malnourished children, I discovered that the children, a few children, consuming the most protein. They had they seemed to have a problem with liver cancer. Wow. So that that's really what started my research career. And I've got I got money from our National Institutes of Health. So it was well funded. And so over the years, I was studying this question: Does animal protein increase cancer? That was the main thing. And the answer is yes, it does. Mm. Uh, and it does it directly and indirectly. When we consume more food containing animal protein, we consume less food like plant foods, yeah. that combination, more animal food, less plant food, that's what's related to heart disease, cancer, diabetes, a whole variety of so-called Western diseases. So my story became quite big. Um, and uh, then I did a study in China, a very big study in China, that was uh, the New York Times that it was the Grand Prix of all studies. It was a big study, it was about 130 villages about 6,500 people in those villages and we collect lots of information and I was interested in China because I wanted to see if the same results for protein consumption as what we were seeing in the laboratory and the answer is yes.
0: Yeah, amazing.
1: it's a, It's, a, it's a quite amazing. That's when cancers go up and that's when heart disease goes up and diabetes and so forth.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so the typical so-called Western diseases increase. And that's, that's briefly what I did. I, I retired uh, at 67 and wrote wrote four books and one of them is called the China study. And, and uh, the last one is the future of nutrition. Um, yeah. It's been a very exciting journey.
0: Yeah. You have really, I mean, you're the, the father of modern day nutrition, I think, and and also the fact that you actually coined the term plant based food and everything everyone actually is using that now. Especially people that, although are vegan, want to be healthier. They always make a point to say we actually eat a plant based diet. It's not just about the veganism, um, and that is a good um, a good step forward because when I became vegan, when I yeah when I became vegan. Uh, I didn't really understand the difference, but I was plant-based because I always liked healthy healthy food. But I studied nutrition in a very, um, you know, classical way where, you know, you learn about protein as something that is so essential and that if you don't get all amino acids from uh, from your meat, then you'll die. Um, I kind of was very resistant to changing. And the, the only reason I changed is because I, although I was eating, you know, white meat because you know chicken is better than beef, um, I I had high I had high cholesterol and uh, my blood sugar was too high. So I'm like, this is not working. And I eat a lot of vegetables, but it's not working. What is going on? And um, I listened to a talk by Dr. Barnard, and I I decided to try it. But I honestly was going into it without too much thinking. I I was just like, I'm gonna just try getting out of my step my comfort zone because. My comfort zone was eating animal products because they were healthy. You know, that's what I learned. And when I changed my diet, everything changed, including my forever persistent IBS. So that for me was like revolutionary. And I and I looked I started looking into it. And so many things, um, you know, I, I learned about veganism and plant based. And a lot of vegans are sadly so unhealthy because they don't eat a plant based diet. They eat junk food so that is the real you know disconnect there and i think because now we have you have created that term that makes so much sense and if we can marry veganism with plant-based it could be such a great way to also improve people's health people that do it for the animals you know they should do it for themselves too. We animals too right we want to be healthy um, So I I love that you've done that. And um, let me just step back to your days as a young boy living on a dairy farm. So um, was that because you learned that, you know, milk was the perfect food, right? So was that so normal to you that you would have never even considered not um, not drinking milk or eating meat?
1: That's right. I I never considered that Maria. We had a fat family farm, cows, and I milked cows myself, uh, you know, and farm life was was very, uh, a nice life, I should say, growing up it's in a countryside mm-hmm. and so forth. And when then I eventually went away to graduate school. Um, sort of coincidentally, I was doing this doctoral dissertation, you know, and promoting the consumption of animal protein in a, in a more efficient way. That's what the topic was. Mm. I never questioned that until I got my first faculty position at Virginia Tech University, and I was coordinating a project in the Philippines Mm. with these children. Mm -hmm. And there, of course, we were supposed to be giving these Malnourished children more protein, but I saw this problem with liver cancer. Yeah. So it was a total surprise. And I have to say that my own research, when I started doing this, uh, I was doubtful that this is really true. And We kept doing the research but it was true that caused a lot of problems i Mm. should say yeah how
0: how did people exactly how did people around you take it especially even your family right how did everybody that was used to you promoting animal products then think hey hold on a second you saying that this is not right how did that go
1: well uh by the time that i was doing this uh, my father unfortunately uh had a heart attack and he passed away so he was eating the typical kind of diet, obviously, too. So he didn't know so much. Uh, my mother was still living at the time, but uh, I don't think she believed, believed it. Uh, but my immediate family, my wife, and now five children and 11 grandchildren, my wife really, really liked the idea. She listened to everything. So she just basically changed our diet for all of us. And uh, that was, a, we started changing in the 1980s. And by nineteen ninety we were more or less mostly mostly changed, and I did it because of the science
2: mm.
1: it was strictly because of the science that we were doing both in the laboratory and in China a yeah. combination and it was so convincing and uh but then I my colleagues uh, a number of colleagues were quite frankly upset with me mm. uh, and uh, you know, not necessarily close colleagues, but in the scientific community and in the political, political community um, that was not very popular. And, uh, you know, they, they tried to do things that, uh, they, they were d- discouraging, I guess you could say, really disgusting on the one hand, but on the other hand, I tried to uh, see those, those problems as being uh, helpful to a solution. In other words, they for me, there were lessons learned, because I learned about the system, you know, about how powerful is the system. And I learned quite a bit, I think, why we humans uh, tend to want to eat animal foods. It turns out that animal protein is not high quality. That is simply untrue, and I can t- talk about in that detail, in scientific detail, why it's not true. But, you know, a lot of people believe it almost subconsciously they want animal foods. And so yeah. it's a, it's a really quite a big story that goes back many, many years.
0: I think it's because society has been drilling it in us since we were born. You know, like the media shows the perfect meal has, has animals in it. The, the the news will talk about being in the plant food. Well, now less, but forever have been talking about plant-based food as you know woo woo like that you don't do that that's crazy you need you know the perfect protein from animal and um, and I, I think something that you mentioned in your book the new book that is really really powerful is how simplistic we we make science and by only targeting an angle well that's the way the science obviously you know some science can benefit um, the investors, if you want to say, the people sponsoring it, because you look at only one angle, you simplify it, and you say, you see, this is how it works. Um, but, you know, you made a point. We we focus so much on the simplistic view of nutrients. So we go, like, protein, carbohydrates, fat. But it's so, mo- so much more complex because we are these uh, living beings full of chemical reactions, basically, in our bodies that one single um, element cannot possibly, you know... Um, be simplified that much. And I, I like you to speak a little bit about that. Why is it so important for you to say, look, we're not not doing it right. We're simplifying too much, simplifying, And also we are targeting one thing and we're forgetting about all the rest.
1: You you really do understand that very well. So I want to congratulate you. Uh, you know, Aristotle, uh, you know, over 2000 years ago, said the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm. That was, was it turned out to be very true, but I think we tended to forget that. So starting, I I really got interested in the history of this question, by the way, Uh, when I was at Oxford University for a year and I was working in the uh, libraries in London and and Oxford. And I really learned a lot about the history from, at least from the English language point of view. Mm. And in the middle 1800s, there were two views about cancer one view was that cancer is a local disease we could just cut it out and that that would solve the problem that's what the surgeon said Mm. the other view was called the constitutional nature of disease that's where something about the whole body was involved something about the food well what happened historically was that the local theory of disease that is what that's what uh, took hold Mm. in other words Local, 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 you know, very specific. And so, and then not only could we cut the cancer out, we could use chemicals, yeah. very specific chemicals, let's say, to treat the cancer. That's been kind of a disaster, to be honest about it. Uh, we can maybe use very targeted X ray, you know, radiation. So the local theory sort of changed gradually into something local, 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 something very specific. Then in nutrition, in my community, Nurses who were studying nutrition were studying nutrition one nutrient at a time.
2: Mm. And
1: so I taught uh, I taught nutrition several courses, and I, I really taught this, you know, uh, that uh it, it's not about one nutrient at a time, that's a lot of confusion. Yeah, one nutrient that gives rise to the idea that we can get our nutrition from pills like supplements. That's not true. Mm. And and so what happens when you when you look at what happens inside the cell, the body. You know, it turns out when we eat the whole food, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of chemicals there. And each one, each chemical, you, it actually operates by a whole bunch of different mechanisms, seemingly independent mechanisms. But in reality, something's going on in the body. So that all these different kinds of reactions, they all sort of work together. Yeah, It's like mother nature. You know, as long as she has, you know, as long as she has access to all the nutrients in food, when the food is consumed in that way, then she can decide what she wants to do. I, I like to use that metaphor. And and so, and, and what happens, everything goes right in whatever part of the body. So what happens, you know, our physical conditioning improves. We tend to be healthy so we don't get disease Our mental state actually begins to improve. And so, uh, nature is is a, a fantastic phenomenon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's been had a few million years to work this out, and so all of these reactions, no matter how complex they may be, they all kind of converge together to produce the same result. If we eat the right food, yeah. it's just that yeah. simple. And yeah, so uh, that's what I call holism with the W. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, W H O oil. Yeah. It's, it's WHO, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, um, I also think, you know, I, I, I'm studying, um, again, <laughs> nutrition, um, but from a holistic point of view. And even just looking at amino acids, you know, every amino acid does different things. It's got a character. And you can tell that we can get them all from different plant food. And um, when you think about it, it makes you, it, it, this idea that we have to get them all together at one go it's just so um, wrong, because the body will have to break it down anyway, we need amino acids to do different things in the body, they don't all do the same thing. So why even bother with this, you know, let's go one place and get them all together, They get them from different food, so that with the protein, you actually get the minerals, the vitamins, you know, you get so much more. And, uh, and that's what people are lacking, I think. And, and um, this education that is needed. I mean, your book is fantastic for that. And I think, you know, it it really is good if uh, a doctor starts um, learning nutrition, but also learning from what you created, because as you said, everything is backed by science is not, and is not, you know, oh, I think it's actually this is what I can prove. And that's something that it's been lost a little bit in conversation. Now it's more about belief systems like you know we have people that are promoting the carnivore diet and i'm like when did we become lions (laughs) you know it's crazy but i like your opinion on this phenomenon of people really thinking that vegetable can hurt them and they think that we only have to eat meat what do you think that is all about
1: well, it's a, very, it's a fascinating question. I mean, it has a very deep history, philosophical history, as well as scientific history and, and economic history. By the way, and of course, I'm sure you know this, when we focus on the parts instead of the whole, like we focus on individual nutrients or individual chemicals that might be used as drugs mm-hmm. or individual diseases so that are only unto themselves, when we think that way, what happens? One of the reasons that has succeeded in our society is because when we can take one of those items of information, whether it's a chemical use as a drug or whether it's a nutrient or when we can take that idea and if we can get intellectual property protection, mm-hmm. it's a legal concept. And we do have laws that we can get intellectual property, we get patents, copyright and so forth. When we get protection economically, then now, now we can sell the idea.
2: Yeah.
1: Now we can sell the product. That's why that's why nutrition has been forgotten. Because nutrition is, you know, nature is everything working together. We can do it for ourselves. We can do it for ourselves. We don't need to eat the wrong food, and then get sick, and then use drugs. That makes no sense.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. But if if we just eat the right food to begin with, we then tend not to get the diseases. And if we do, we just eat the same food will actually reverse it for those who want to start. So maybe older people. 50, you know, I, we my wife and I didn't completely change until I was uh, about 50. Mm. Uh, so, and it really works. It's worked well. I mean, I've looked quite a bit beyond my father even. And so the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, working on the parts as Aristotle warned us, you know, is not exactly where the answer is. That's where the money is. Mm. In a modern system, working on the parts, you know that's where the money is. It's not where the health is. In contrast, we work on the whole, like provided by food, plant food. And one, one more thing I should say, I just uh, thought this was kind of interesting. You know, all the energy that we get, us animals, and that includes non human animals, all the energy we get, we get from the sun, of course. Mm-hmm. So, the sun, the, as solar energy, it comes, that energy is captured by plants, it's converted into chemical energy, chemical bonds, carbon hydrogen bonds, for example. That energy is captured from the sun, converted into chemical energy. Now that, and it's all plants. And so, all the animals and us included, that's where we get energy from. Yeah. And so, it's really crazy when you stop and think about the fact. Why do we have to go eat other animals you know, to get that energy? That's nonsense. They got their energy and they, they became very big and strong and fast and so forth and so on. You know, they, they each had did their thing. And for us to assume that somehow we have to take the energy from that was captured by the other animals to eat the animals to get that, that's nonsense. It's just really ridiculous. Yeah and so we can just eat the plants that captured the sun in the first place and that's where we get our energy from and we get all the other things to go with it
0: absolutely um yeah and i guess a lot of you know i, I think every diet that has come out um from different kind of views and um in different kind of angles um that is not plant-based or is, even with the plant-based but i guess um with the plant-based you know it's the longevity of your um, your decision is, uh, is really measurable and I think, you know, you're going to see years and years, like look at you, you are 88 years old this year, I believe, and you are, uh, you know, you look fantastic and you look sharp and a lot of people think, you know, as you, if we get older, we lose wit and we lose, and we don't have to, we, we can be completely, you know, we can, want, can have that longevity and that vitality if we eat the right food. Um, but a lot of people that say, look, I've, I've gotten healthy by going on a keto diet or a paleo diet, or even the carnivore diet, I think is we have to understand where they are starting from, because if you're eating a standard Western diet, where it's mostly junk food, processed food, and now you're cutting all that out, even sure at the beginning, maybe you will lose weight by eating only meat and you will uh, feel better. But is this a long-term approach? Because there is a repercussion that comes with making those choices and not having the micro the micronutrients that are rich in plants and that you will not find in animal products so I, I really wonder what these people are doing with you know the vitamins and the minerals that you cannot possibly find in, in meat so it's a very interesting paradox but i think it's really where it comes from and again we talked about you know you want somebody somebody sponsoring um the science then they want that angle to be highlighted and if people get healthy on a keto diet people get healthy on a paleo diet well, of course they'll get healthier to from the way starting from. But I really don't think that if a person is plant-based and is feeling great, goes on a paleo diet, might do as well, if you know what I mean. And, sure. and I don't think people tried it the other way around. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you, the point you made is, is correct. That that is to say, people who let's say, especially if they're overweight, if they have high cholesterol levels, for example. Uh, They hear that the, for example, the uh, paleo diet, the Atkins diet or low carb, whatever name we use, they they hear that that might be good because they can lose some weight. And that's the first thing that people tend to think about is that, or, you know, that the low carb diet, that kind of diet. uh, Yes. In the short term, what happens, they end, first off, they start using less calories. They consume less calories. So they automatically lose some weight, but that effect is only short term. Uh, I've been actually uh, three times. I've debated one of the key figures in that, you know, by the wall street journal one time and another time I was on uh, you know, a major TV show with Larry King and so forth. And I could tell the other fellow, he's, it he was a nice guy. Uh, he he wanted to believe what I had. And he says, he kept saying to me, he says, you know, we think alike. And I had to keep reminding me, no, we don't, <laughs> you know, because, because the science is, is really different. The results that, uh, you see short, you know, are short-term, they really are. And it's kind of impressive. People lose some weight, oh wow, this is a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. But then they eventually they go off, you know, and, uh, and then you know, it's a good thing to go off because if you look at the high protein content of those keto diets, very high animal protein usually, the higher the animal protein, the higher the risk over time for heart disease and all the different cancers and so forth. So short-term gain for a long-term loss. Yeah,
0: yeah. And you so agree.
1: you know they, they they will lose. They will lose. Uh, Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it makes it makes sense in that way, right? Um, I have a question for you. You were involved into policymaking, and um, when you were involved in policymaking and you were following the the direction that the majority was going into, did you ever um, versus when you actually said this is not the way we, animal products are possibly dangerous. Did you see, did you notice much more the impact of lobbyists and, and money um, involved into policymaking? You know, sometimes when we are following the herd, we don't really see the details because we don't pay attention to them. And then when you change direction, those things kind of pop up. Do you find that for yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the key, I was on some committees of, you know, so-called expert committees of the National Academy of Sciences, for example. And on one committee I was on in 1980, it was a key committee. It was a committee labeled diet, nutrition, and cancer. And it was the first uh, report of its kind, first expert panel report. And there were 13 people on that committee. You know, the friends, I mean, good good people, that's not the issue. Mm -hmm. So we were having fun putting this story together. We worked for two years and it had been funded by the U.S. Congress directly so we were being responsive to a congressional authority at that time. And so uh, when we were writing up the report, we had a chapter on fat, one on calories, one on fiber, and so forth and so on. I wanted to put one in there on protein. My colleagues were not very happy about that. They said, you know, we can't go too low on protein because that'll mean that we have to cut out animal foods. <laughs> one of the members on the committee was from the Department of Agriculture, a nice fellow, but that's what he said. So finally, I keep insisting, I want, we should have a chapter on protein. So they finally said to me, well, then you write it. So I wrote the chapter and I, I argued the point at that time. This is 1980, and I didn't know nearly as much as I know now, but yeah. I, I knew enough that we had to have one on protein. And then later, um, just after that, I was uh, asked to be the person to testify. Before a uh, U.S. Senate committee and the House committee, you know, on this report, and and other people picked up my story and the New York Times, so forth and so on. I like got a lot of a lot of public, you know, had quite a public uh, appearance. That and that, and of course, they knew I was talking about protein and animal protein. That really disturbed people, and in my own society, for example, they considered I had betrayed my own community. And so they had a petition, some of the leaders had a petition to have me expelled from the society the first time in its history. It was about a 60-year-old history then. And uh, so I had to attend a hearing in Washington. They're going to expel me. Well, th- they didn't do it. I mean, the, I sort of made my arguments, but that's what I I had to put up with that stuff several times. Yeah. And what, what i learned from that, as you just indicated, is that, uh, you know, it, it can be very discouraging on the one hand, but on the other hand, it showed to me the power. It showed to me the power of the industry. Not only the industry, but the influence of the industry on the government. So for example, we have uh, departments of agriculture. We have a Department of Health and Human Services. It's really interesting. I'm, now I'm being rather caustic and candid, but <laughs> we, the one department, Department of Agriculture, they're, they're actually subsidizing, setting up regulations to where they're making food that makes us sick. I'm not mm. saying they do it intentionally, but that's really what it is. It makes us sick. So now we get sick. This is a good opportunity for then drugs. So the other department, Health and Human Services, which are mostly controlled by the pharmaceutical industry, they're, they're going to make us well. So if, to put it in just shorthand, one department pushes us with lots of information and money, they push us to eat the wrong food. They help to produce that kind of food. We get sick. Now we're customers. Now we have a large customer base. So now we can, we're tremendous customer base. Now we need drugs. That is the situation in just in a nutshell. We eat the wrong food, get sick. Now we have to try to get, get ourselves well. And they say, oh, here okay, we got all these drugs, wrong food, that causes us to use drugs and drugs, side effects of drugs are the third leading cause of death in this country.
0: Yes. So it's amazing.
1: So the drugs are not doing their jobs. Again, sometimes short-term, yes, I'm not, you know, just automatically opposed to drugs. I mean, sometimes drugs can be helpful. It's based on drugs that relieve pain, for example. Mm. But, you know, the short-term, they certainly can be helpful, but as a lifestyle, no. That's that's wrong. Yeah, uh, it makes no sense, and it's very very expensive. We we use the most drugs of any country in the world per capita. We have side effects, and we also have the highest uh, cost of health care of any country in the world
2: mm-hmm.
1: as a percent of the GDP. So we are we've been on the wrong track. It's very very simple. It's very serious. And now with the environment, that's another issue too. Because the environment, uh, environmental issues that are now being noticed, uh, finally, I think uh, that is the number one cause of the climate change problem is raising livestock of all things. That was published first by the World Bank, and I I was involved uh, working with them on that, uh, and uh, they wanted me to come and give some lectures, and so. Uh, that's what I did, in fact. and so. But they were su- successful for only a short term. Then it kind of slid backwards again. So all these big institutions, whether it's the agriculture institution or whether it's the health institutions of various parts, the cancer institution is a huge industry. Mm-hmm. They start making drugs yeah, for the purpose of killing cancer cells. Chemo- cytotoxy chemotherapy is called. Mm -hmm. they they don't after 30 years they're doing that Mm. in the aggregate they don't work and those drugs actually make more cancers so the story is is kind of a it's very dark story but at the same time we need to shed light on it and then understand that you know if we do things right in the first place we don't have these problems but also as there's a lot of business is dependent on the wrong doing the wrong thing what what do we do about that i mean i'm a free market person philosophically yeah that's not an issue uh and so but we we can figure out how to deal with that question but we need to start facing it talking Mm -hmm. about how do we do it well you call
0: it in the book you call it a paradigm And I know you don't. You want to stay away from a conspiracy. You don't want to. You don't want to talk about. Yeah, and I I understand that. It's just very hard sometimes to to see that there is so much evidence of what you spoke of. Food that make us unhealthy are subsidized. um, How livestock is contributing to um, the destruction of the planet and climate change, and how it's not just the fact that there's so much livestock, but the fact that we are killing. Uh, forest to put more livestock so instead of you know contributing to more plants growing and having more oxygen we are be putting more cows where before there was a beautiful rainforest in uh, Brazil and it's like all this it's not something that they I, I cannot personally really believe that is something they do unknowingly because people like you are exposing these facts are saying look this is not right um, and they keep on doing it and A lot of, I mean, my sister worked in pharmaceutical, so I know from her experience that the pharmaceutical companies uh, invest heavily into the healthcare system. Now, this was in the UK, so the healthcare system is a public service, it's not private, Um, but there is a lot of money that goes from big pharma into the NHS, for example. Now, that doesn't allow so much for independent thinking, because once you get money from a big company, they want to make sure that you're promoting their drugs. So, you know, although we don't want to call it a conspiracy, I think there are some people that make decisions and know very well what they're doing. And this paradigm they're in serves them really, really well. And um, I personally never thought that you can change the system with the system. I think at this point, to change anything, we need to personally get educated. So books like yours, courses like yours on eCornell can start that that ripple effect you know people taking responsibility for the health okay you can def- definitely go and see a doctor i'm a firm believer that for acute issues medicine is perfectly acceptable as well you know like you there, are, there is a part that med the allopathic medicine approach is very very important you know you're not going to break a leg and go and have kale like that's not going to work but you can um you can benefit from the advances in medicine that we had That's fantastic. But for chronic issues, then we need to look at lifestyle. And if we are thinking that our answers or our or our healing comes from a doctor versus our personal responsibility, that's the, the shift that has to change in us. You know, like that that, that has to happen in us. Um, that paradigm shift has to be a personal paradigm shift. We're like, let's all take responsibility. There is enough information out there to get educated and then have a conversation with our doctors about anything that's happening in our health or even better, as you say, if we eat the right thing, we don't even have to be sick. And so uh, that would be the best case scenario for everybody. And, you know, and really learning how to uh, understand nature a little bit better. Even the fact that, you know, we, we can, we we always rely on other people to give us food, but we can have, we can grow so much on our own, whether you have a farm or not. Some of us are lucky to have that. But um, if you live in a city, there are vertical gardens you can have in your apartment Then you can grow some kind of food. You know, like just get a little more in touch with your food supply. I think that's really what is missing. Um, So yeah, I think that I I thought it was very interesting in the book how, you know, we call it a paradigm, but I completely understand where you come from. And to be honest with you, um, it's a much more approachable way. You know, we don't want to go to people and say, you are killing people on purpose. We want to actually try to create a conversation. And this is a great way to do it because I'm sure a doctor that picks up your book is much more re- receptive to reading uh, that maybe there's a different way to think about things versus you're doing it wrong on purpose. You know, it's um, we need to kind of approach people in a way that is attractive to them. So I completely get that. Um, but yeah, but it's hard to think that there is no, um, you know, that there, there is no. There are. Pe- I think there are people that know exactly what they're doing. You know, this is a very beneficial way that the system works for them. You know, we we can't really we can't really go around that one. Um, so, I yeah, um, I was very you know I, I was very interested in um, how poised you actually handled one uh, one episode in particular. I um, you you definitely probably remember this. It's uh, that BBC. Um, documentary that was, they came out a couple of years ago of now a few years ago, maybe five years ago, um, that talked about the dirty secret of a clean, clean eating diet, uh, clean food. And um, so I remember that your interview with this uh, doctor from the UK he was from Oxford. Uh, I don't remember his name at the moment. I'm so sorry, but um, he kind of cut out some of the answers you were giving when he was interviewing you Um, And I I thought it was very cheeky. I mean, I could see, I looked into him and I, uh, that's why I'm a little bit annoyed that I don't remember his name because he was heavily sponsored by industry uh, for that documentary. But, um, um, you know, you you answered, you actually made a point about how even there, you see, you have a, we have a broadcasting um, corporation that is sharing a documentary and we have one person that is going to try and frame The narrative of the documentary to suit the industry that paid for it. So, what what was that experience for you? And I'm sure you recall how that went, that happened, and how you felt about it. Um, You can, yeah. How was that for you? How what was your experience with that?
1: Well, initially, when they invited me to uh, to be interviewed, I I said yes. It was the Horizon program. You know, at BBC, and we spent some time in England. I, I was a big fan of the Horizon program, to be honest about it. So they wanted to send a crew and, you know, interview, interview me. And I said, sure. Um, then when the interviewer himself, he was from Cambridge University, a researcher from Cambridge. And uh, so the first thing he told me, we he was interviewing me in a golf cart riding around an orchard. <laughs> and there was, the film crew was just sitting in front of the golf cart and was hooked to the group back in London. It, it, there was something strange about that at the time, but it, I thought, well, that's just fancy technology. But he told me in the beginning, he says, look, I'm a carnivore. I'm never going to change. I'm a, I, I, you, you won't change me. So I said, okay, that's your choice. I, you know, That's what we're talking about here. But he reminded me because he was a geneticist. He was mm-hmm. conversant in scientific language, as I think I am. And so we talked it kind of in scientific terms to some extent and he would remind me, he says, you know, your book is having a lot of influence. You've got to be careful. That's not scientific. And he kept referring to the fact that I was going to ruin my reputation, you know, by talking about this kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> so we started talking in scientific terms to some extent. And so we started arguing and things like that, that did not make the make the final film of course. Mm-hmm. And so um, in any case, uh, he, then I became suspicious, what is he doing? At the same time, uh, we stopped there, we had lunch there, and Dr. Esselton, uh, his wife pre- prepared the lunch, and, and uh, Dr. Esselton had three of his patients who had reversed the heart disease. So they were interviewed too, but that fellow didn't, he didn't want to pay attention to them. I mean, it was really, a, a, I guess a, they were doing the job on me, but so his, Esselton's interviews of his patient, beautiful were not included. They were cut out because here are these people, very articulate. One of them was a very senior person, depending on of all people. They had good stories to tell and it wasn't included. Then I started looking at who is this guy? Uh, and I started looking, he was funded by Sanofi Aventus, the drug company, mm. headquartered in London. Uh, and so that Sanofi Aventis had funded some of his research he was doing, that's where I was putting the link together. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. because he was arguing strictly the corporate point of view from the beginning. And uh, then when they created the film, you know, I was told when it was coming out the first time, I got a phone call to say that CNN was going to broadcast it across the United States. You know, this was on a Tuesday and they were going to broadcast on Saturday. That's what they. I was told. I said, "Oh, okay," but I saw the film. I didn't like it because he, he, they were trying to compare me with a couple of uh, people who committed felonies. And really ridiculous. And so I wrote to the head of the uh, uh, Horizon the BBC group uh, that uh, you know I don't like this. You know, you, why did you do this or something? And you know, I was complaining about it. I posted that letter, and he, they told me, "So why? If you had any concern about it, why, don't you tell us in advance." Well, how can I tell you in advance? I mean, that's crazy. You know, you, you interviewed me. So, you know, now I'm seeing what you did. And CNS is going to broadcast it. And so we had a back and forth. So I was very clear that this was offensive. And interestingly, CNS, CNN never broadcast the film. I think they they saw the exchange that I had. Yeah. Absolutely. So they saw- but it was shown in Canada. It was shown on one occasion in Canada. It showed in the UK too. The yeah, beginning. they did, and that's
0: when I watched it. And uh, so for me, the 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 red flag was I I read the China study. So um, the interviewer seemed to be making a point that your your study was anecdotal, and there is there is science in the book. I'm like, where this is not right. So. When you mentioned that they might have cut they cut no they might have they cut they cut something out, I actually thought that they might have because it didn't feel like a complete um question answer you know something is missing and they just edited so that they could make the narrative stand out um that's what it felt like um and I just didn't feel it was right and also you know and, and this is this is the thing that I think comes up a lot is they if we want to make an argument about what we believe in that is right and we have a uh, reason to believe that is right for whatever reason, whether we have seen the science, whether we are, you know, genesis, uh, whatever it is, um, you want to do it with integrity. You know, you want to present your arguments and your, your research with integrity, which is what you've always done. And I appreciate that versus trying to edit things out to make it sound like you have an argument. Otherwise you just, you're losing that argument because the truth always comes out eventually. So um, to me, that was a big, um, you know, a big flag when I watched it. Cause I'm like, this doesn't sound like the right thing. Like I, I didn't think you would just say that. And it made you look like you, you were lost for words. And I knew that's not you, like you, you know, what you've done. You've done it, you know, for 60 years. Like it's not something that you, you would not say something about. So that I thought it was interesting, but I wanted to you know know your experience, because um, I think when you see this happening, this is when you can you know you feel that maybe you actually feel you're doing the right thing, because when you do the right thing, there's a lot more pushback than if you're doing the wrong thing in this world at the moment. So um, I, I thought it was very interesting. Um, so thank you for sharing the story. I didn't know about Dr. Esselstein that was uh, he actually I'm interviewing him tomorrow. Um, I didn't know that he was also in in there because they never they never featured him. Uh, so that's interesting that they left that out. Um, so, yeah. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Well, there, there were, if I could, my comment on something about that, because yes, for, I was very much inf- influenced by my father, who only had a couple years education. He was born in Northern Ireland. He was a farmer, and, but he had a lot of integrity, a lot of reputation. And he told me, he says, when I grow up, he says, remember, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Mm-hmm. And I was the first one in my family to even go away to college. So, I mean, that's part of me. I'm, that's, I'm not going to leave that under any circumstances. Um, and so uh, the second thing I, I might point out too is that uh, the fellow work at Cambridge who was uh, quizzing me, his research with uh, Sanofi Adventus, was designed to come up with a, a solution to obesity. Mm-hmm. And to do that, Uh, At first, was necessary to identify the gene or genes that that cause primary cause obesity. Because if we can identify that gene, this is reductionist research. Mm -hmm. We can identify the 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 gene, then we can maybe make a drug. That's that was the idea. And so you see his sort of scientific philosophy, if you want to call it that, is misguided. But you know, it it, it's very much focused on one thing: find a drug to. Do this gene so then we don't get obesity. And of course, I'm, I'm arguing exactly the opposite. Yeah. You know, that, that's not the way to go. So that was a little bit of background that, uh, you know, this whole experience. And it was just playing out. Right? Reductionism versus holism in a sense. Uh, Absolutely. With drugs versus food.
0: But also how many people that are sadly overweight or obese, are they that way because of genes? And how many are because of lifestyle? And I think they know that the genetic component is existent, but it's minimal. So how much money can you make from a very small percentage versus, you know, taking advantage of the fact that we have a pandemic of obesity because of lifestyle? Um, You know, so, of course, (laughs) that was left out. Um, Actually, talking about pandemics, uh, so the past uh, two years and a bit have been, well, now it seems like, you know, people are less talking about the pandemic, more talking about the war. But. Um, how? What was your first thought about this um, coronavirus coming out? What, you know, like the whole thing went very fast. We went from um, locking down everybody to not talking about lifestyle and uh, you know preser- preserving people's health so that even if they got the virus, they could get better without having to struggle to a vaccination. How? How did you see that play out? How did you feel about the whole thing?
1: Well, I'm writing an article on that right now, a manuscript, and I I want to point this out. I have to say that the pandemic, uh, in in regards to the uh, coronavirus, um, is an instance, it's an example of what has been wrong with our society in in medicine for a very long time. And uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, The virus itself, when it first came out, uh, I had doubts about it straight off because we worked with viruses on on my lab. It's not like I'm foreign to the idea, mm. and uh, so I was uh, also uh, very much aware during my career that there's always wants to, that people want to put a spin on the research, you know, in regards to let's say some pharmacologic solution, if you will. And so, uh, just to give a little more background, in China, we we, we did the study in China in 1983. We repeated it in 1989 that included both Taiwan and mainland China. It was a big study. It was even bigger the second time. And so we had access to information on liver cancer, the fifth leading cause of death in the world. Liver cancer is primarily caused by a virus. That's Mm -hmm. a virus disease. It's the most serious virus disease of all. It's worse than the coronavirus, to be honest about it. A lot worse. It kills about 800,000 people a year Been doing that almost like every year, mostly in Asia and Africa. But in any case, I had a lot of experience with liver cancer over the years. So in that China study, uh, we took we got a lot of information we you know some areas in the country were very high in liver cancer and other areas very low so we we uh, actually worked with almost nine thousand people. We mm. took blood samples from those people. We knew what the rates of lung cancer were in those areas, right? We collected all kinds of nutrition information and what uh, I went back to have a look this is I say this was published in Bondi in 2006, which was, was conducted in, in nineteen eighty. Nine. But in any case, the information we had on that virus really was fascinating. Let me summarize it just quickly if I if I can. Of course. The people people who ate more plants in rural China, they formed antibodies to the virus and they did not get the liver cancer. Okay. People who ate a little bit of animal food, only 10% of what we do in the West is not very much. But the, the ones who ate uh, the animal food, they were the ones who didn't, they did not form antibodies. They kept it. The, it's the most striking uh, bifurcation, if I can use that word, most striking bifurcation of information I've ever seen in research. And it wasn't just one correlation, two correlations. It was 11 correlations, all significant at the probability level of 0.001. Mm. I'm talking about data that's just overwhelmingly Impressive. Eating plants, China—they were the ones that did not get the liver cancer. Okay, they, they formed antibodies. The ones eating some animal food and what, what whatever went was that? Very small amounts. They did not form the antibodies. They kept the antigen and mm. they got the liver cancer. And one more point: those those data we collected in 1989. We continued some of that work in the laboratory in the early 1990s. I had a graduate student at the time who was working on this, and so the virus is called hepatitis B virus, Mm -hmm. okay? There is an animal model uh, where the part of the animal, they're called transgenic animals. So these are mice, these were mice who, they had the gene for getting liver cancer, they all get liver cancer. So in those days, um, I wanted to see what effect uh, nutrition might have on that. The ones who got liver cancer are the ones consuming more animal protein. That was that was his thing. Very striking. Very mm. striking. In the process, in the process, the ones who consume an animal protein, they're getting liver cancer, right? I didn't look for antibodies at that time. We didn't have that. But one of the things that we did look for, the ones consuming animal protein, had decreased decreased levels of a thing called T cells, the cells. T cells, yes, and they're the ones that—that's the kind of cells that are, you know, part of the immune system too. They're they sort of the early, early defenders when a virus comes around. They mm-hmm. operate during post weeks, if you will. Well, it was a sharp depression in T cell activity. This is like thirty-five years ago, mm-hmm. and so T cells were what known hardly by anyone at the time. And we found this lower T cells in animals consuming animal protein to get the cancer. So there's another, there's another uh, feature. Now, now right, you may know, uh, there's quite a lot of talk about T-cell research. Your sister, I'm sure, knows about this, uh, that the T-cell research, and they, they want to capitalize on this T-cell phenomenon and make some drugs. Well, guess what? This is just about a month ago. It turned out somebody has just worked out the data on this. There's at least 300 different kinds of T-cells. <laughs> so now we're going to spend a few million dollars you know, on this exciting T-cell opportunity, we're going to spend a few uh, tens of millions of dollars or more to try to work out which T-cell they can make a drug for. That is, that's, that's exactly where it's going. I have to call it insanity. It's totally, it's totally insane. Because how can we work out to find out one T-cell out of 300 or whatever the number turns out to be, and then treat that one
2: mm. as
1: it means to try to protect against these, uh, uh, these viral diseases, or maybe the coronavirus if it re- reoccurs, when in fact, don't need animal food. It's just, just that simple. So it's the same solution as we already know for the chronic degenerative diseases. Yeah. So, and, and, and I, had to, I had to tell some detail on that because I find it very excited, we, I tried to publish that first in a journal that uh, one of the big British journals that published there before. It was, uh, it sh- they had opportunities for some of their uh, journals they have control of. They wouldn't even stand up for review. I've never had, had that experience in my entire life. I've published over 300 papers. They wouldn't even send it for review because what I was saying is that this information is so striking with this hepatitis B virus. I was suggesting this is probably, and I'm sure this is probably true, this would work too. So people who, for example, got infected it won't stop infection nutrition i don't believe has anything to do with infection the number of uh, positive tastes, that's not the issue but what it does do it protects against the symptomatology that occurs mm-hmm. and so uh they both they wouldn't even send it out and I, I was really upset because as i say i never saw this in, but before in my entire career and i've sit on editorial boards myself i i know the game uh so i sent it finally then that paper to the a journal from the European Commission. Um, It's called EC Nutrition. They did publish it. That was in February of 2021. After that, three more papers have now come out
2: Mm. showing
1: uh, it's a kind of questionnaire kind of survey of people with uh, infected with coronavirus, asking them what kind of diet they use. These three papers papers show convincingly people consume a plant-based diet or plant that they just call it that they have a much lower risk of suffering the consequences of COVID nineteen. Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's very exciting. But what what the the takeaway from that is, I find it very upsetting. They the, the people in in authority in this country right now refuse to acknowledge that one of the best forms of immunity we can have against a disease like a virus disease is nutrition. For crying out loud. hmm. We don't have to get the disease to get the immunity, that, that happens too. We don't have to get the immunity from taking a chemical mm-hmm. or a vaccine. We can get much better immunity by eating the right food to begin with.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, this, so this recent two years for, for me, Australia has been for the last, my, my experience, the last, uh, you know, what I know of it from the last hundred years.
0: Yeah, yeah, it always, it's, sad. it's a, it's sad. It's, yeah. I hear you. I got I got sick and, um, you know, okay, it took three weeks versus, um, you know, the flu normally five days I'm up and going. It took me three, we- three weeks, but, you know, I, I did it just with food. I mean, whatever I could down because I, I, I could eat because I was quite, I was struggling to eat. It was a, the, the hardest part, but um, I was basically making green smoothies every day packed with superfood just to think, okay, I'm just going to, lots of vegetables and fruit in one smoothie so that if I don't have anything for the rest of the day, at least I put something in my body. Lots of rest, lots of hydration. And, um, you know, the, the bad symptoms went away within maybe seven days, but the, it was the fatigue that took a little bit longer. So obviously, um, you know, your immune system is still working. But I also believe when we feel sick, the reason why we feel so tired and we feel like we need to be quiet and in bed is because our immune system, is smart and to work well we need to make sure that we're not doing a million other things that we could be doing when we have a lot of energy so you, resting is also medicine you know in those cases but it's true because of my diet being uh, solely plant-based i really believe that i i managed to get better uh, within uh, the three weeks and get my energy back and then uh, you know not having to worry about it anymore and i i you know i'm, I'm i've been exposed to other people that had Uh, the virus and I was fine you know uh, after that so uh, that is very much something to be said about it the interesting part about how many t-cells we have and wanting to isolate them the danger of this is as usual even as we talked about at the beginning with the nutrients is if you don't know the pathways they are they are following they're creating and they're working together isolating them will not solve the problem you know because you you probably fix one thing and damage um, many others
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it's just a wasted, wasted money almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hear you. Um. So uh,
0: according to your following your uh, the title of your book, the latest book, what's what do you think the future of nutrition is?
1: Well, uh, <laughs> I'd like to say if we don't make changes, it's, the future is dismal. Mm. Uh, I have no, no, uh, no doubt about that. And I think about, you know, obviously our children, our grandchildren, you know, going forward. And, and also the environmental changes that are now being seen uh, are coming, quite frankly, very rapidly. And mm-hmm. the kind of, you know, is happening very fast. And uh, that is really related to, uh, largely related to our use of livestock and it's, you know, the various uh, problems that occur with that consumption of energy being one, of course, it exacerbates it. But uh, just the, the this idea of consuming uh, animal food because it has so-called high-quality protein is a myth of huge proportions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and uh, I don't know whether you're... Fam- we have this online course, I guess you probably know.
0: Yes, the Econel, uh, yes.
1: My, uh, my daughter, uh, our daughter, uh, she has a PhD in uh, nutrition and education development she's now the president and she's really uh, uh, brought on a new life for that. It's now at Cornell, we've had, we have a course, of course, it's been very successful. It's mm-hmm. the number one course, an online course at Cornell. But uh, other than that, uh, she do organize this international opportunity of uh, reaching out to countries around the world and giving them some micro grants. Wow. Because everybody, you know, all around the world, They they some people think about, working in a marketplace, doing something there. Some people talk talk about uh, unique gardening things. Others talk about something else, you know, and coaching and, and that sort of thing. So she, I think we've got about 40 or 50 of these uh, outreach programs now around the world. And uh, we're very excited about it because especially with, and she lives in the Dominican Republic, by the way, she was in the Peace Corps, but in there, there's, there was a forest there some years ago that now has been stripped. Oh, to, no. put cat, to put cattle on it. And the water that was there eight feet deep in the stream, there's no water running now.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And so here's a perfect, perfect example. And our program, our online program, we're going to organize in a way that students can go there and see for themselves, spend some time and see what really happens. It's a perfect display of what you just said a moment ago.
2: Mm-hmm. Cut
1: down the forest, put the cattle there and no, no time at all, really. It, mm-hmm. it basically ruins the whole eco- the whole ecology of the area.
2: Yeah,
1: it doesn't rain as much. It gets dry, and, and, and it is a disaster. It's a total disaster. But interestingly, in the tropics, uh, land does recover itself quite fast mm. because of the weather, obviously,
2: yeah. and
1: uh, yeah. you know, and rain and stuff like that. So that's one of the things that uh, we're focused on, or she's focused on right now, is to show how that might be how that might be used as a demonstration of turning something around
2: that's uh, great
1: just not eating the animals that are being put there you know
0: yeah we will uh we will put everything on the show notes so that people can actually um also refer to that to the courses and this information and uh, and see what your daughter is doing that's great i i know a few people that did the course um
1: a friend of mine has a
0: Vegan protein, <laughs> vegan protein brand, uh, but it's basically just seeds and nuts and um, nothing really, nothing chemical or nothing else, no, no sugar added, just nuts, seeds. Um, and, it's, um, and she did the course and she loved it because she said she finally understood protein much more than she ever did before. And she's a nutritionist. And then, uh, well, you know, Victoria Moran, um, I interviewed her and uh, she said that she loved the course. And she did it as well. So I know a lot of people that have done it and truly really got out, out, a lot of out of it. So um, I, I, and I looked at it. Actually, I'm just finishing what I'm studying now. Then my plan is to take it as well. I, um, I, I loved it. I love the syllabus. So I think I'm going to uh, I'm going to do it as well. But it's just nice to see that this is available. So we'll put in the show notes for sure and have it there. Um, you know, it's fascinating what you said because um, there is a saying that I heard that is beautiful and uh, my, one of my lecturers uh, shared it and it's, um, tell me, I'll forget, uh, show me, I'll remember, evolve me and I'll understand it. So if we can get people to, uh, you know, learn and then get involved and do the things that we tell them and so they can experience them, it will be life changing,
1: you know. And there's so many, there's so many um, uh, people around the world who have uh, some very interesting ideas. It's a combination of all the ideas in a sense, to particularly create at a uh, community level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it, uh, I think that's where we're going to have to concentrate. Uh, I think to try to change the political system, I thought, and rather naively, I thought, you know I, I was very much involved in that too, but it's almost hopeless. Yeah. The political yeah. system is owned by the corporations. Let's face it; it's that simple. And they buy it. Yeah. They buy politicians. So I don't know. It's, yeah, exactly. It's
0: yeah, you can't you can't change the system with the system. We have to find um, a parallel that is much more powerful. And right, communities right. communities is definitely where we. I mean, we left we left London. We used to actually we used to work in banking. Uh, my husband and I for a long time I I left in 2015 to pursue a career in health because I really am passionate about it and um, and we moved to Portugal and we have a farm and we are learning how to do regenerative agriculture something I never thought I would do because I killed a cactus once you know (laughs) and uh, I thought I'm gonna grow food but we're managing to learn and it's a fantastic experience and uh, you know makes you really appreciate everything and we're trying to obviously meet more like-minded people as well. They want to do that and really care for the environment. And even here at micro level, um, in a small village, you see the politics at play, you know, you see the people that are really ambitious and they want to follow the money and they want to just build, build, build instead of, um, of buildings, as in build buildings instead of, you know, building communities. And, uh, so we have to always have our own plan and, and be ready for that because, um, I don't think we can really trust that the people that are in power or that we have put, we have elected or selected um, are going to do what's in the best interest for everybody, you know. So it's better to just make sure that we are prepared in a way that is much more, it's kinder for ourselves, for the planet. Um, and we try and do that, you know, that that I see the future being. an education, I really think that's why your course is so important sure. because education gives people the... the the means to understand what's wrong
1: and then do it right. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, film is also a pretty good thing, I should mm. say. I've spoken in Portugal before, in fact, the Minister of Health uh, attended my lecture, it was uh, in Lisbon.
0: Oh, fantastic.
1: Yeah, it was. A lot of it, too. it was very enthusiastic, audience at the time, I remember. <laughs>
0: That's brilliant. When was that?
1: Well, and now I think it was about five years ago, I, I think it was something like that. Uh, uh I've I've got a son also who's produced some films, as you probably know, the fork Silver is that that came from the China study on plant Pure Nation I don't know what you think about you like that's I mentioned that because that what deals more with what we're talking about here, yeah. the political side of things. Um and it, it was uh, discouraging. It demonstrates you know the difficulty of working with so he's gone off now and he got something really interesting in producing food, you know, that's very healthy and it's oh, been picked me. up by one of the big drug companies now. I mean, big food companies.
0: Oh, that's so, great! Now I, I watched good. the documentary; it was very, very good. Actually, I watched so it not bad. long ago. I watched in November when I had uh, COVID, so I was, oh, I was yeah. in bed not doing anything but watching documentaries. That was
2: brilliant.
1: Really? <laughs> yeah. quite I will tell him that you know someone I know. You know, had COVID watching Play at Your Nation. That's pretty neat.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And then
0: um, I, are you still living on your family farm?
1: No, I, I, that's yeah, interesting. I, I, I work, you know, when I went away to graduate school a long time ago, now my dad uh, sold the fa- farm or sold the cows and I still have that auction sign. So I, I keep the auction sign. <laughs> no, I, I left the farm then and uh, have ever since been, uh, you know, in academia. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah.
0: Lovely. Um, well, you, think, you yeah. that's, that's your path. You know, everybody has a path to change the world and your yeah, path sure. is definitely that
1: yeah well, I, I can say I'd really enjoy it immensely because of the the people I was working with There's so many students I love working with students
2: mm. and
1: you know even at a policy level as individuals, you know that that was the dichotomy that was hard to deal with. How can I how can you know people that really you gain a lot of personal respect for but somehow they become part of the system and they don't know what they don't know.
2: Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, know.
1: that expression you know pe- we do not know what we don't know. And I just keep thinking all the time, you know, how can these educated, many cases, very well educated, conscious people, you know, that's why I don't like to talk about conspiracy. I know there's some of them, of course, I agree with you. There's some of them are doing it for malicious purposes, for those selfish interests. That's very clear. But at the same time, they get away with it because of the system I think we have Yeah. that tells us, you know, eat this food because it's high quality and, Oh, we got drugs over here. I mean, it sounds kind of fancy. Lots of jobs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dr. uh, Campbell, thank you so, so much. This was so wonderful. Like, I'm so inspired and um, you were so graceful. I really appreciate that you took the time to speak to me. And um, I will definitely share all your links and everything you're doing, all your projects and your books in the show notes so people can find you. And... um, I really hope that uh, maybe you'll come to Portugal again. You know, we're here if you want to come and visit anytime.
1: Well, I, I came to Italy, gosh, I don't want eight or ten times. And the Italians have really arranged quite a thing. And so I, I had, I do have an invitation to come there in Spain. And I, I don't know. We'll see.
0: You might have to do a Southern European tour. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I did uh, one before. went all the way to Slovakia. Slovakia oh, wow. and Czech Republic and Romania. And, uh hungary and poland uh, the whole area too there unfortunately i feel so so badly for those people I know, you know that true. reason right now it's terrible yeah but,
0: the uh, world is definitely
1: going crazy <laughs> it, it is it's going crazy if we would just eat the right thing i know, you know right we would be peaceful. right and relax and enjoy having a dinner with some other people and good company and so forth like that you know yeah. and be healthy I mean, that's, that's it's, it. Would be so different.
0: I know. This maybe we should, we'll start a petition for the politicians to start eating uh, plants, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> they might be yeah, more, yeah.
2: more logical.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh
0: my gosh! Well, thank you so much. I ho- I wish you a beautiful day. Thank you so much for making the time. You are a hero. Um, we love you, and uh, we're really looking forward to maybe speaking to you again
1: soon. Well, thank you. But by the way, uh, the the podcast that we have here. Uh, you know our, my daughter always always likes to make sure that she if it's possible that uh, you know our, our uh, website sure is, is that possible to
0: absolutely absolutely okay. of course yeah. we will share all of the links so I will get in touch with you and get everything so I'll make sure I get everything you want me to share so my audience can get it too
1: okay great. perfect well, thank, thank you. you I really enjoyed your your background and your knowledge of this field Thank you. Uh, It's it's really, really good. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you so much. Whatever, too. Yeah, appreciate that. Thank you. I
0: appreciate it too. (laughs) See you soon. Thank you, Dr. Campbell, and thank you everybody for listening in today. This was such an interesting and profound conversation. Dr. Campbell is an amazing person and an amazing professor, an amazing doctor. It's just such a refreshing thing to see someone that has such a big life experience come in and really share his um, his journey, but also his learning curves and really make it accessible to all of us. So this episode was one of my favorites. I'm just so excited to have Adam here and um, I hope that you got, got so much out of it as well Is that you can really go out there get his books, um, maybe even do his course if you can. And really learn more and more about plant-based nutrition and what it does for our body, what it can do for our planet, and really how it can change our life. It certainly did mine. So as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please do share, like, review our program, and make sure you follow the platform of choice podcast. And we will see you next week. Bye.